Welcome to Tramlines, a podcast from Agri. I'm your host, Tony Smith, putting your questions to the experts. Today, we are talking to Marek Nowakowski, wildlife consultant, and Paul Pickford, farm business consultant. Establishing farm habitats is a real focus for farmers. Today, we're going to examine the real costs and the real benefits. How can we balance the financial return with the cost of establishment? and ensure that creating wildlife habitats is good for the environment and the financial health of our farm business. Marek, if I can start with you, uh, why is the creation of wildlife habitats on our farms so important? Farmland occupies 70% of of the land area, and if that is devoid of wildlife or sterile, the surviving wildlife is going to is going to exist in isolated islands and islands environmentally are, are normally doomed to failure. Loss of biodiversity is quite simply loss of opportunity. A diverse ecosystem is very robust. A weak or a poor ecosystem is quite the opposite. It, it's very fragile and prone to collapse. The thing that I find very interesting is If we don't know the bits that are important in biodiversity and we're busy throwing them away, when are we going to come unstuck? And with that in mind, Marek, from your perspective, what are the key challenges uh, that farmers are facing? I think the key challenge is they're being pushed very hard to consider changes in agriculture. The environment now is very high on the agenda. And for a farmer to stay in business... He has to produce a profit. I mean, this is Paul's department more than mine. And and part of that profit is the environment. And, and it really is this balancing act. But if the farmer goes out of business, the biodiversity is out the window with him. Yeah, sure. And Paul, to bring you in here from the, you know, the farming economic side of the fence, so to speak, you know, what, what are the concerns that you see and what are the challenges for farmers when it comes to establishing wildlife habitats? I mean, Marek's a very good student. Cleveland, listening to what I've been saying about the importance of economics to a farm business. The business of farming the environment, therefore, has to produce money for farmers. Um, the levels of payment that are currently available are based on a very archaic income foregone calculation, um, which sets them at a fixed level, regardless of the quality of job that is delivered. Um, and therefore, that just tells a farmer one thing, do it as quickly and cheaply as possible, recover as much funny money from it as you can, uh, and, that's, and that's the route to, um, to profit. And Paul, how are these changes going to impact the way in which we farm, particularly with reference to creating wildlife habitats? We've, we've had, we're in the process of a well-publicised decline in the BPS. That's going to be gone in three years' time. For most farming businesses, that represented between 15 and perhaps as high as 20% of the output of the farming business. Um, when you consider at the same time that the profit for a well-structured farming business represents 15% of output, um, it does rather put the writing on the wall is without the BPS, there is no money left. Therefore, farmers are gonna to have to look to replace some of that revenue. Um, and it's a question of identifying the most appropriate places to put it, um, because it's not, it's never gonna replace all of it. Three, four years ago, a back of a fact pack calculation told me that I would that we were probably going to be looking at 30 or 40 percent of BPS sustained through um, environmental schemes, uh, and that hasn't really changed yet. So the the the, the need to do it, dare I say, on the cheap, um, remains paramount. 
Yeah. And Marek, I can see you nodding in the background there. What are you thinking? There's nothing more pleasurable for a farmer to beat his, his previous maximum yield. And there's nothing more pleasurable on the farm than setting up a habitat, shall we say, for barn owls and seeing the barn owls use it and thrive and raise a family. It's contrary to popular belief. I haven't met a farmer that doesn't like wildlife. And so, Paul, from your perspective, thinking about farm profitability, what would be a good starting point? So for most farms, the the process has evolved in establishing habitats, which Marek's gone through with, through in great detail. Um, the machinery is, is there on the farm. Some of the skills um, might not necessarily be there because it's planted in a different way to, um, to an arable crop. But the machinery is there. So in order to make a comparison between whether you should be putting a, an environmental mixture in, in place or whether you should be growing a crop in that place, you need to look at the gross margin and compare the gross margin of your arable crops and the gross margin of the environmental crop. And you can't just pick one crop in isolation because the environmental crop is going to be down for between three and five years. And therefore, you have to look at your rotation um, and look at your average gross margin and compare it against that. And, that. and then once you've got that average gross margin for your farm, you can then look at what the gross margins are for the vet and see and see how close they come. Now, they're never going to match the nine, 10 ton crop in the middle of the field because th- that's not going to happen. Um, but it will probably outcompete or certainly compete with the more marginal areas of the farm. So it's, I mean, it's always been important, but it's now, it's now even more important to understand which bits of your fields are productive and which bits are less productive. Um, and if you've got parts of the farm that are performing at 10 to 15% below the average, the chances are that's the first place to look to put, to put one of these plots in. And Marek, does that make sense as to being a good place to start? I mean, 10 to, 10 to 15% is sort of the figure most people bandy around as the yield penalty for field edge compaction, shelter from trees, hedges, that, that. I mean, that, I don't think that's a, a surprise to anybody. Um, certainly on some of the headlands, it, it can be greater than that. Yeah, and I mean, you've got to be a little bit careful that you don't just drive the headland further into the field. Um, and so, you, you, but it's quite doable. I mean, the, some of the new options that are available under the sustainable farming incentive actually allow turning of machinery on the headland. So you might have a, you might have a, um, a wild flower plot on a headland to move the headland away from the wet or under the hedge. Um, but if you can turn on that as well and just do straight work in the field, then there are quite a few problems that you that you solved. That's it's interesting you say that. I'm working with um, one of my farmers the other side of Northamptonshire, and he calls it the turning headland, something that I was tinkering about with many, many years ago. But he, he perhaps the time is right now. And what we've discovered where he's turning has created a level of compaction, which has reduced the fertility because it's locked up the available nutrients and we've actually got in the in the in the wheel marks we've actually got better flower establishment so paul can we start to focus in on some of the costs uh, because that is a real concern uh, for many farmers <clears throat> well let's let's look at the pollen and the nectar mix um that you might put, that, that a lot of farmers do put in um we know that it's got a revenue of 614 pounds per hectare we know that the cost of buying the seed will be somewhere in the region of 
120 pounds, 120 pounds per hectare. So in the first year, you're going to get a gross margin of 494. Um, in years two to five, um, you've got no other variable costs associated with that. So you're going to get 614 pounds a hectare. So over the five years, that averages 519 pounds a hectare. There are other costs associated with doing the work. You've got to plant it, so it's going to have to be lightly cultivated, broadcast and rolled. Um, it's going to have to be topped probably Marek, three or four times in the first year. Yeah, let's say three to so we sort of meet it in the middle three times in the first year and then um, in year two and subsequent, you cut 50 percent and then later on in the season, you cut all of it. So it's, yeah, three times in, in year one and how you work out one and a half cuts in years two to five is up to you. But if you but if you compare the costs of doing that work with the farmer's existing machinery, I know the plots are small, I know it takes a bit longer. But compare that to the cost of establishing a wheat crop, going through it with a fertilizer spinner three or four times, a sprayer five or six times, and then harvesting it and getting that grain into store. Um, the overhead costs are quite a quite a, a much smaller fraction of that. Um, it's more difficult to quantify. I don't like to try and put individual costs against individual operations because I find it distorting. Um, but there would be a saving in certainly in fuel. Um, maybe a bit of labour cost and, and some wearing parts. Um, but largely the overhead costs of the business aren't going to be significantly different because you've got all the machinery in the shed already. And what about fuel costs and labour? It takes a disproportionately long time per hectare to do the work because you're running around between lots and fiddling about. Um, so that absorbs more time. But you certainly don't spend any like the quantity of fuel or the total quantity of labour actually that you might invest in a wheat crop. Um, but if that labour is already on the farm, um, there might be a spore saving over time, but it, it's unlikely. Um, there would be some saving in fuel. Um, there would be some saving in wearing parts. Um, but actually, it's you know it's only five percent, three five percent of the farmed area. You're probably not going to notice it on a P&L at the end of the year. A real concern, Paul, is around the cost of having to re-sow a wildlife mixture where, for example, that crop has failed to establish. What what are your thoughts on that? Um, if you do the job properly in the first place, the, the chances are that the seed you establish will grow. Um, I've lost count of the number of phone calls I've had this year from farmers bringing me up saying, what do I do, Paul? My peculiar environmental mix hasn't grown this year because it was late going in, because it was dry, etc., etc." Um, so it is important to do it right in the first place. So getting the right seabed, getting everything set up properly so that when you put it in, it's got the best chance of survival means you do it once. It keeps the cost down. You buy the seed once, you do the work once. That's the way to do it. You can watch a range of videos delivered by Marek on the Agri website at www.agri.co.uk forward slash green horizons forward slash the environment. Or follow the link in the bio for topics ranging from filling the hungry gap to succession planting for pollination. And Marek, listening to Paul's advice there about how to establish these crops, is this where advice is really important in helping the farmer? Many farmers understand what to do, timeliness, uh, you broadcast the seed, you, you don't drill it. But the reality is that having done everything right, like any other crop, um, if the weather doesn't play ball, you might be facing a redrill. Uh, and it's increasingly important 
to look to delivery. Jeffrey are getting much keener on delivery rather than just paying you for taking land out of production. So I think although I agree with what Paul is saying, the risks involved in habitat creation, I think, are higher than conventional cropping. Marek, you make a really interesting point there about risk. Paul, what is the financial risk when trying to establish these wildlife habitats? The simple, the simple one to pick up, I guess, is perhaps the seed cost, Mark. If you if you plant it and the seed doesn't grow, that's that's one hundred and twenty pounds for a pond and a nectar. It's two hundred and fifty pounds or a thousand pounds for a flower margin. It's one hundred and sixty pounds for winter bird food um, that you've that you've lost. Um, the 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 work involved, the physical work of doing it, doesn't cost anything like that. So it really is important to do it. It's very difficult because, understandably. The farmer's going to prioritise the planting in the spring of, 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 his, of, his, of his crops um, and then fall back and do the wildlife, the wildlife margins um, because there is the opportunity to generate more profit from doing the animal crops well. Um, but if you're looking at cost control, it's, it's, it's planting these things at the right time. If the conditions aren't right to plant, should you put the seed on there in the first place? The trouble is if you don't plant it, um, and if the um, if the RPA do one of their flyby inspections, which they're now doing with drones and the like, um, and see that your plot is brown and not green, you're not going to get paid for it. So we have discussed the value of wildlife habitats on our farms and the benefit to the environment. We've heard about how the schemes are going to be working going forwards and talked about some of the risks of establishing these wildlife habitats and where best to place them in areas on the farm. But Paul... Can this work financially for all farm types? Can you give us some insight as to your thinking? And I've picked three farm types. I picked a good farm, which is going, to, which I would was going to call a ten-ton farm. I picked an average farm that might be an eight-ton farm, and I picked a poor farm that might be a seven-ton farm. That's in wheat, obviously. If you look at the and we're growing a growing a rotation based around wheat, barley, rape, and beans. And the using the standard figures that I produce for agri every year, um, a 10 ton crop has an average gross margin across that area of 901 pounds an hectare. The, the average farm is 682 and the poor farm is 552. Um, that's the average. So if our pollinator mixes are yielding 590 pounds a hectare, there's a story there. You have to start looking quite hard at that. So for the average farm whose gross margin is 682, 590 isn't enough. Um, but when you get to the part of the farm that's doing 10% below the average and dragging that average down, um, if you take 10% of the yield away, one would assume the costs haven't changed at all, um, then that margin is 561 pounds a hectare. Right, guys, you're better off growing bird food and flowers. That sounds good to me. Uh, Marek, what are your thoughts? Is that good news? Yeah, I'm I'm encouraged by <clears throat> Paul's figures because it, it shows quite clearly most farmers can see environmental opportunities as a good bit of business. Um, I provide the training and, as you say, the planning. But at the end of this discussion, um, the business opportunity for habitat creation to me is is very encouraging. Paul Paul's put the figures to it. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with that. I think it's a good, it's a good business opportunity. 
And whilst that sounds really good news, Paul, can you just qualify what you mean by those average yields and what that means about selecting the area where we choose to establish the wildlife habitats? So, so this is this is why it's important. You know, you, you, the the farm average is eight ton. That means that you know some of the field is doing nine, maybe ten tons, um, which really couldn't be much further from the truth. The net, the, the planning that's required to put in place a decent scheme on a farm is a lot, awful lot of work, um, and you really do need to understand the how each part of the farm performs. Um, and you know most farms now have got access to data off their combines that will tell them the variance in yield from field to field. Um, you don't, you can't, you can't choose a year in isolation. You, have, you you need sort of perhaps ideally three or five years to look back over. But you have to, you know, make sure you understand what where those bits are, and that's where you have to do the work to to put these plots in place. And if I understand it correctly, Paul, you know we have to establish these wildlife habitats in order to receive the payments. Absolutely, Tony. The and um, you know the RPA are getting cleverer at spotting the ones that haven't been. That there are drones flying back. They are using satellite photographs. Um, you've told them where the plot will be. If that bit's brown in June, they're going to want to know why. And Marek, as the wildlife expert here on this podcast, what are your thoughts on what we have discussed? Paul has clearly shown us that the right habitat in the right place can be a damn good business opportunity. He's given me, and I've written it down, he's given me the figure, if I'm averaging less than seven and three quarter tonnes a hectare, the business opportunity of doing something for biodiversity is clearly there. That's Paul's bit. My bit is still pushing hard on, on the training and the planning. So the whole thing becomes an integrated part of the farm. Uh, up till recently, I've done the wildlife bit, but I've done the farming bit. Now, farming and wildlife should become as one smooth link in the business. And as we come towards the end of this podcast, Marek, I'm going to ask you first, what are your reflections and what would be your key messages to those listening today? The skills and the timings for quality habitat delivery are every bit as demanding as crop production. At the end of the day, my interest is top quality delivery means you can score highly in the environmental delivery on a reduced area of farmland. To try and find the true cost, you have to understand the farm business well enough to be able to identify, as Paula said, the areas that are not producing a profit. And those have to be the prime candidates for where you put the habitats. And Paul, from the business perspective, what would be your message? The, the farm business has got, has got an opportunity in front of it to, to blend economic return from poorer ground with a significant benefit to the environment. Um, and if you bring the correct knowledge together, so that, yeah, a bit of financial knowledge, a bit of environmental knowledge to link all these things up, you can end up something that is positive for your business and positive for the environment. But you do have to put the work in at the outset. Well, thank you, Marek and Paul, for sharing your expert advice on the real costs and opportunities of wildlife habitats. That's it for this podcast, but do tune in again as we meet the experts throughout the season, exploring the many immediate and longer-term questions for growers and farmers in the UK. If you have any questions you'd like us to ask the experts, email info at agri.co.uk. See you next time.